thank you for this morning and thank you for your word to us in Lamentations. God, we pray like Job, as he mentions in chapter 13, 15, that though you slay us, help us to hope in you. And yet, in the midst of that, we will argue our ways with you. And Lamentations teaches us how to do that, Father. Lord, I pray as we come to your word this morning that you would speak to us through it by your spirit and help us learn to walk in your ways. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, on September 11th, 2001, um, I remember reporting to work at the airport where I was working at the time, pushing wheelchairs from plane to plane. Uh, And it was a very normal day, seemingly. As we're going through our morning safety briefing, we heard about that an airplane had hit the World Trade Center. But obviously, or, or me and my coworkers, we didn't, we didn't think too much of it. We just thought, oh, it's another inopportune accident. That must be terrible. So we were standing in front of Cinnabon, watching the TVs and the news coverage, waiting on planes to land for the morning rush. And that second plane hit the World Trade Center, and we knew that something was very bad wrong. And that's when all hell broke loose at the airport. Suddenly, FAA was grounding every flight, and so planes from all over the world and the nation that were near Salt Lake were landing in Salt Lake City, and I began assisting passengers off planes that had no idea why they were in Salt Lake City, no idea what was going on, no idea what they were supposed to do. And person after person, I began to tell the tragic news of the morning's events to watching the shock and the horror come over their face as they gasped in disbelief. And that shocking morning, our lives as Americans forever changed again. And we were attacked and people lost their lives and those buildings fell. And I think in, the, in our country in the coming days, if you were around in that time period, then our country really began to lament. I remember for days, many of my friends glued to their TV sets with tears in their eyes. I remember people crying out to the government for justice. I remember even some of you in here enlisted in the military. Others cried out to God for understanding, for Him to do something, asking Him, why did this happen, God? Why? And many of us cried at home as we thought about the lives lost, the uncertainty of the future, the seemingly end of an innocent age of safety in America to usher in an age of perpetual terrorism and war and uncertainty. And I think we can identify with Jeremiah when he says in Lamentations 2.11, My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. And as bad as those events of 9-11 were, the, the experience of it, it just begins to scratch the surface of the emotions that the Jews felt in 586 B.C. when Babylon came in and completely destroyed Jerusalem and all of its towns and the countryside and killed most of its people and took others into exile. And so in Lamentations, Jeremiah has left us with five poems of lament 
over the destruction of, Je- of Jerusalem. And these poems are gut-wrenching. And yet they are meant to teach us one thing. They are meant to teach us whom to turn to in the midst of our suffering and, and in lamentations, particularly because of our sin. And so we look at, as we look at lamentations over the next three weeks in our new series, it, it will teach us to place our hope in the Lord and His steadfast love towards us in Christ, even in the midst of our suffering for sin. Now listen, I know, I know this is a little bit of a hard shift from the, the joy of Resurrection Sunday, Christ raising from the dead to the depths of lamentations. It's, it's kind of like my car shifts really hard out of third gear in the winter. But that's why we have lamentations, because cars don't always shift well. Our life is not always perfect. There's a lot of life to be lived in Jesus that isn't on the mountaintop. In fact, a lot of the Christian life is about learning how to hope in Him in the midst of your adversity and when you have fallen into sin. So as believers in Jesus, I want to learn, I want us to learn from Lamentations to boldly cry out to the Lord even in the midst of our sin and our suffering. So I want to invite you this morning, if you came in here feeling the weight of your sin or, or you're facing some of the worst suffering you've ever faced in your life, then Lamentations is an invitation from the Lord to you, an example in the Word of God about what it means to cry out to God in the midst of your situation and find hope in Christ. Now, as we get into Lamentations, I think it's good for us. What is a lament, right? What are we talking about here? Talk about Lamentations, there's lots of them. What is the lament? And a lament is really a complaint to God. And, And in our context, sometimes it's very much like mourning, like if you're mourning over someone who has passed away, or or things that have changed in your life. And and the Bible is full of laments to God. In fact, the Psalms, almost half the Psalms, are laments to God. And yet, these are complaints with a purpose, okay? Laments in the Bible are meant to move us from a place of pain to a place of praise of God. And in particular, in Lamentations, Jeremiah, the the author will make his move from the pain over the destruction of Jerusalem to hope in the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, I like Lamentations. Lamentations is cool, especially if you're a Hebrew geek like me. Uh, It's a really, it's a highly structured book. In fact, it's made up of five chapters, and each chapter is a complete poem. It's considering one aspect of Jeremiah's pain and I'd encourage you to read the whole book over the the coming weeks it only takes about 20 minutes to read all five chapters and it was written by Jeremiah sometime after the fall of Jerusalem when the Babylonians came in in 586 BC which he prophesied was coming he witnessed it come and then he was dealing with the people after it happened and four out of the five poems form an acrostic out of the 22 Hebrew letter alphabet. It means each, each line begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 3 is three times as long as the other chapters, and really it's, the, it's meant to highlight chapter 3. This is where Jeremiah will point us to the steadfast love of God that we can hope in, but on either side it's surrounded by pain. 
And the poetry really has a great purpose. It's as if to say, we're going to sit before God and we're going to explore the A to Z of our pain. We're just going to lay it all out there before the Father. But the cool part is, is the alphabet does have a Z. We will come to the end of our pain when we lay it out before the Father. But in the meantime, we're going to look at every facet. And so today we're going to consider Lamentations 1 and 2 that we heard Travis read for us, where Jeremiah highlights the destructive nature of sin, but we're also going to learn to cry out to God for mercy through Christ, even in the midst of our sin. So let's, let's jump in here and look. Now when we think back to September 11th, right, we can remember experiencing that great national tragedy, seeing great destruction, and yet really it was limited to one small area of our country. And furthermore, we had no prophets standing to us saying, this is because of your sin. In fact, it's only those wacky street preachers that tell you what sins we cause that, that cause that to happen. But there's been no word from the Lord, and yet for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the destruction of the city was directly related to their sin and breaking the covenant with God. And what was their sin, we might ask? The book of Jeremiah details throughout God's case against Israel, his multiple attempts to get them to repent and the warning of destruction that comes through the prophet Jeremiah. And if we look at chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, we see um, that God instructs Jeremiah to go to the temple and he's going to level the following accusations against the people. Hear what he says there. He says, Behold, you trust in deceptive words, but to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and, and go after other gods that you have not uh, known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing these abominations. They say they are the people of God, and yet they worship other gods in God's own temple. And they live like hell with no remorse whatsoever. And to boot, their prophets and teachers stand back, and they tell them, everything's great. You're fine. God loves you. He will just bless you. There's peace. It's a scary indictment when we consider our day today. God says, you want to rebel against me? You want to worship other gods in my house? You want all the debauchery of the world? Then have it your way. Go to Burger King. I'm out. And Jerusalem and her people reap the consequences of their sin as God turns them over to it and punishes them for it because they broke his covenant as his people, completely destroying Jerusalem and inhabitants. And Lamentations opens with Jerusalem pictured as a lonely, deprived widow crying in the street. Lamentations 1.1, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was once a princess among the provinces has become a slave. And Lamentations 1 goes on to picture this widow, Jerusalem, 
as she sits half naked, dirty, sexually used and abused by the surrounding nations. All her children taken from her, many killed or starved to death. And tears stream down her face as she cries out to her former lovers. She cries out to passers-by. She cries out to God and all of them. No one heeds her crying. Everyone turns away from her. In fact, her enemies just laugh. It's a depressing scene. I can remember, remember being in Madrid, Spain, um, with Amy one time. And, and there in Spain, they, they have poor, handicapped, and professional beggars that sit in these plazas. And they just wail at the top of their lungs. And you know what? No one cares. They wail. You can hear them over the crowds. They just wail and cry out. Nobody cares. In fact, <laughs> at one point, I was so annoyed by the wailing that I, I had a part of my sandwich and I walked over to one of the ladies just to get her to stop wailing. And this is the picture of Jerusalem, the abused widow wailing in the street and no one cares. Everyone is turned away. And in Lamentations 2, Jeremiah laments more explicitly the destruction of Jerusalem because of their sin. Lamentations 2, 4, it says, God has come like an enemy. He's no longer father. He's no longer friend. He's an enemy. And he has killed Israel's uh, inhabitants. And Jeremiah tells us that some were killed by the enemy, by their sword, some by disease, some starved to death in the siege by Babylon. And they lie dead in the streets, men, women, and children. Do you know they think the siege of Jerusalem by Babylon, they think it lasted anywhere from 18 to 30 months. Can you imagine all the people in the surrounding villages holding up in Jerusalem, hoping they can be safe as the enemy surrounds. Babylon comes around and they begin to build siege ramps so that one day they're coming over the wall. Meanwhile, they've cut off all supply lines and all there is to do is fret about the coming day of destruction. And people are starving to death in the city so bad that Lamentations 2.20 cries out in a grotesque way, Should women eat the fruit of their womb and the children of their care? And as people died of starvation, others ate them. In Lamentations 2, 5, and 8, and 9, it says that God destroyed the palaces, the buildings, the walls of the city. Lamentations 2, 6, and 7, God even destroyed his own temple where he met with Israel and was worshipped. Lamentations 2, 1 calls it his footstool. It was where God's presence touched the earth. Furthermore, Lamentations 2, 6, God is rejected Israel's leadership, the priest and the king, because they have led the people astray. And in Lamentations 2.9, possibly the most damning thing said is that God is no longer speaking to the people of Israel. It says the law is no more, and the prophet finds no vision from the Lord. We look at this and think, oh man, God, seems really harsh. People eating babies? We have to remember that God had given them exactly what they wanted, a life without Him. And more than that, He had warned them for 800 years previous that this would happen if they turned away. 
The Bible consistently witnesses to the fact that, that a life of sin will lead to death and destruction for God's people now and forever. And this is a ver- in a very real way, Israel's sin brought about their death and destruction as God poured out his judgment on them. One of the lessons we learn from Lamentation is that in the same way, if we continue to run headlong into our sin, rebelling against God, it will destroy us. It may not happen tomorrow or next week, but it will catch up with us. And ultimately, we will stand before God and He will deal with our sin. I love this verse in Proverbs. It's speaking about adultery. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Your sin will catch up with you sooner or later. And the picture of God's judgment of sin and lamentations is meant to bring a sober reality to our lives about the serious nature of sin. It reminds us of the deadly, destructive nature of our sin that deserves God's judgment. So how in the world does Jeremiah begin to move from this place of sin and pain and destruction and rejection to hope in the Lord? Well, first, as what we're going to see in these chapters, is that he begins to place everything that has happened in Jerusalem in the hand of God. Lamentations 3.38 says this. It says, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and bad come? Jeremiah is teaching us that there is nothing you are facing that God is not a part of. Job's suffering didn't surprise God. In fact, God approved Satan's testing of Job. The consequences you're facing because of your sin, they don't surprise God. He ordained them. And beyond that, he sent us 66 books to warn us of the destructive nature of sin and rebellion against him and give us words of life of how to come back to him. And so if God is in control of the things spinning out of your control in your life, then who do you think you need to look to for help? the one who is in control and can actually do something about our situation. Notice that lamentations, though a complaint is directed to one person, it's directed to God. And the Bible, that's where the Bible wants us to center. When we're experiencing horrible things in life, it says, turn to the Lord. Turn to God and pour out your complaint. You know, Satan and his minions like to play a nasty trick on us when we sin. They make this, us to think that we need to run from God. And maybe even as we've read Lamentations and hearing, you're like, man, i got to get out of here, right? They, they make us think we need to run from God because obviously whatever we're facing must be because God is against us. And in fact, that's the feeling Jeremiah had. And so he is our adversary. We must run from him. Think Adam and Eve and fig leaves. And so we try to hide our sin. We, we hide our sexual addictions from our spouses and our friends. We withdraw from the church and good believers. We medicate our sins with drugs and alcohol to forget what we have done. We recreate to try to manufacture some joy and, and get our mind off of things. But God will make the sin of his people come to the light. 
And instead of hiding, the gospel teaches us that contrary to what Satan whispers in your ear, that when we actually, we need to run back to the only one who can do something about our sin, knowing that he indeed loves us. Listen, we just got done with Romans, and don't, don't let that go too lightly. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to get clean to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus to get clean. And Lamentations teaches us when we're, we're suffering under our sin, turn back to the Lord and speak to him about it. Let the pain of sin drive you to the cross and to the one that can do something about the mess that you're in. Now, Jeremiah will go on to point out that, that secondly, not only is God in control of all this, but, but God did exactly what he said he would do. Lamentations 2.17, The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. I love that translation, thrown down. You just think WWF, right? <laughs> Body slam Jerusalem and everybody in it. But here's what we need to see. If God does what he says he will do, then he is trustworthy. And the good news is that he has made a lot of really good promises if we'll turn back to him. And if he's true to what he says about discipline, then you can bet he would be even more happy to do the blessing. I want you to see this. This is important because we don't serve a capricious God, one that just lashes out for no cause or thought. And, and this, this, you need to see this. Almost 800 years before the destruction of Jerusalem in 586, God, through Moses, warned the people about what the consequences to their sin would be. And prophet after prophet came to the people. They warned the people, pointed out their sin, but they refused to listen to God. They refused to turn. As Travis said, Jeremiah's ministry was a failure, not on Jeremiah's part, because nobody turned. Nobody was saved. You can look to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I'd encourage you to read the whole thing. And here, as the people are coming into the promised land after coming through the exodus, uh, Moses lays out the people the blessings and the cursings of God as his people. If they will follow God and do what he says, then they will remain in the land and God will bless them and he will dwell with them. But if they refuse to follow God, then he will kick them out of the land. He will no longer be with them and he will come against them as an enemy. In fact, I want you to see exactly what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 28, and there's a whole bunch of verses I've cobbled together here, so... Um, you can look at those on the screen. Starting in verse 15, it says, If you will, this is the cursing section, If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away. Think Babylon. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout the land. And they shall seed you in all your towns throughout the land which the Lord God has given you. And look at this. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you. 
And as the Lord took delight in doing good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And what I want you to see here is that God has not acted out of character in destroying Jerusalem. Rather, he has done exactly what he said he would do if his people would continue to sin and would not follow him. After 800 years of patience, he brings judgment for sin. Could we not be in the time of God's patience right now, waiting for us to repent and turn to him? Lamentations 1.14 says, My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I could not withstand. And yet Jeremiah is communicating as he laments that the Lord has done exactly what he said he would do 800 years ago. And if that is true, then there is reason to hope in the midst of destruction. The promises of destruction are true, and guess what? His promises of salvation and restoration and blessings are also true. In fact, I encourage you to read Jeremiah 29 through 31. There the Lord lays out the new covenant that he's giving his people. He's saying, after I discipline you and I send you in exile, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And in this new covenant, if you will turn to me with your heart, then I will restore you to the land. I will bless you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and I will never again turn away from you. And what we see is that in the midst of discipline, it should be cause for hope that God's promises of salvation are true. Lamentations goes on. And this is kind of the first thing we must do to come back to the Lord is to agree with his assessment of sin in our lives. You see this, Jeremiah, Lamentations 1, 18. It says, The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. Not only does Jeremiah believe this whole mess is in God's hands, he acknowledges that God has come against their sin and he's right for doing it. And this is the first step in coming to Christ. If you don't know Jesus, it's saying that God you're right, and I am in the wrong. Lord, have mercy on me and help me. And finally, since all of this is in God's hands, he has a bigger purpose for the destruction of his people than just pain and agony. Remember, he is disciplining his people as a good parent would to turn them back to walk in his way. God disciplines those that he loves. Listen what Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 and 11 says. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And guess what? In Israel's case, when they come back from the exile, you know what they have no more problems with? Idolatry. 
They never commit idolatry again. Now, they had some problems with some other things, and they're going to reject Jesus. However, they never committed idolatry again. They got it, right? Lamentations teaches us that there is hope in him when we run to him, even in the midst of our sin. If he is faithful to the promises of discipline, then he will be even more faithful to his promises to show love and mercy and forgiveness towards his children, bringing salvation and restoration to your life. We see this. David knows this about God. After he's committed adultery of Bathsheba, and then he connives and kills Uriah's wife to to cover it up. Look what David does. He knows this about God's character because he cries out to God in Psalm 51. He says, Lord, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Because he knows that God has promised to do just that. And he is faithful to do it if we will turn to him. One of the best promises in the gospel is 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we see in the book of Daniel, Daniel sitting in Babylon, praying, wondering when the people will be restored. Daniel writes this beautiful prayer of repentance for the people. You can look at Daniel 9, 1 through 23. He writes this beautiful prayer. He acknowledges the people's sin to God. He acknowledges God's righteousness in punishing them and kicking them out of the land because of their sin. And then he pleads with God based on his mercy and love, redeem us, Father. Sin is destructive. But because of God's character, we turn and run to him for help and he can save us he's promised to finally let's look at how lamentations teaches us to cry out to the father look at lamentations 116 for these things i have wept my eyes flow with tears for a comforter is far from me one to revive my spirit my children are desolate for the enemy has prevailed lamentations 19 oh lord behold my affliction For the enemy has triumphed. You ever been there? Ever just failed again that same stupid sin that you've been struggling with for years? Seems you're all alone and the enemy has triumphed in your life again. Lamentations is for you. It says turn around. Cry out those, those feelings to the Lord. God wants to hear them. I love Lamentations and Lamentations and Psalms because they they teach us, bring everything to God. There's nothing off limits. Come to God. That's what he wants. When your life is imploded, cry out to God. When your sin has gotten better of you, cry out to the Father for mercy. When you're facing the consequences of your sin, cry out to Jesus. You hate everything you're going through. When your suffering is too much, cry out to the Father. Because Lamentations gives you the license to speak your mind with God about your suffering. He can take it. 
Even more so, He wants to hear from you. You know, we live in a culture that likes to make everything happy-clappy. We don't like sadness. We don't like mourning. We try to hide it. We try to cover it up. We try to just get over it, right? And yet, this is not good. Ecclesiastes tells us there is a time to laugh, but there is a time to cry. And there is a time to mourn. And let me just say this. Lamentations gives you the license and encourages you to cry. To sit before the Father and just cry. If we don't give ourselves space to get upset, we'll go crazy. And and if you begin to try to flatten all your emotions out and just try to live in one place, guess what comes out? Anger. Or we end up having to take medication because we're driving ourselves insane not that medication's wrong there's a, there's a place for physical need of medication but if we don't deal with our pain if we never get it out there we never give it to the father it'll eat you up lamentations tells us it's okay to be sad before god in our culture that only wants to be happy listen now i love this we're going to end by looking at this When Jesus is dying on the cross, he's bearing the weight of the sin of the world. He's dying for you and me so that we can have an advocate with the Father, that we can be cleansed from our sins. You know what he does in Matthew 27, 46? He cries out to God, quoting the first line of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus laments his suffering to the Father, the turning away of everyone he ever knew, the turning away of God the Father himself as Jesus bears alone your sin and my sin. Psalm 22 is a lament of David that speaks of Christ's suffering on the cross. But here's the great thing about Psalm 22 that I encourage you to go read it. As it goes along, it moves from the feeling of forsakenness to trust in the deliverance of God as the author pours out his soul before the Father. And as Jesus is on the cross, he's lamenting his forsakenness, the weight of sin, and yet he is confessing his trust that God will deliver him from the pains of death and the punishment of sin. Through his lament, he hopes in the Father. Lamentations 2, 18 through 20 gives us this best picture of crying out to the Father. Band, you can come on up. It says, Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint in hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and see. And as you do this before the Father, a strange thing begins to happen is that we again begin to hope in him. And as we come to the centerpiece of Lamentations next week, that will be what Jeremiah teaches us. 
that despite our suffering and pain, I know this, that God's steadfast love endures forever. His mercies are new every morning, and therefore I can hope in Him. So if you're bearing the weight of your sin this morning, if you're bearing the weight of your rebellion against God, if you've never confessed Christ as Lord, then I invite you to come cry out to Him, say, Jesus, save me, forgive me, save me. If you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, I would encourage you to come to speak with myself or Robert or Travis. And we're going to have our prayer team stand up and, and come around the room. And this is the sweetness of the gospel. That if you'll turn to him, he can make you clean again. He can help you out in the midst of that suffering. Isaiah 118 has this great promise from the Lord. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be as clean as wool. For because of God's great love for us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that you can be clean and be restored to the Father. So whatever's going on in your life, I want to invite you over the next few minutes to cry out to the Father. Find hope in Him by crying out to Him. We have people stationed around the room that you want to pray for them. The altar is also open. You can come and pray up here. But let's learn to hope in Him by crying out to Him in Christ. hurting and broken within overwhelmed by the weight of your sin Jesus is calling have you come to the end of yourself do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling Come to the altar, Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Behind your regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Come to the altar, Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Come to the altar, Father's arms. 
saw an interview <clears throat> several years ago with the writer of the story of Pretty Woman and um, wasn't necessarily pleased with how the movie turned out because as he wrote it, the Julia Roberts character at the end of the book ended up dead in a dumpster in an alleyway from an overdose. But the powers that be who knew that movie was coming out said we need happy. We need optimism. So change it. So they changed it. But you know the reality is that there are times when things are just kind of bleak. The good news is that in the middle of difficulty, what this book pivots around, chapter 3, is going to let us know that his mercies, mercies, mercies are new every morning. And even in the middle of the difficulty, his invitation is, look, just come home, just come to me. And there's forgiveness in the house of the Father. If you'd like someone to pray with you today, if you'd like to know more about how you can experience forgiveness, if you'd come to any one of us, any of these that are standing around or any of us on staff, we'd be glad to share with you what God's Word, the Bible, has to say about how you can experience forgiveness through a life of surrender to His Lordship. Now listen, if you're new to Risen Life, we would love to have lunch with you today. Um, uh, we, we trust that you received notification about this, but if you didn't, you're invited to lunch. We're going to have lunch in the Fellowship Hall, which is as far as you can go that way, up the stairs, and follow the noise or the smell of food. Um, we would love for you to come and have lunch, and let's let us explain to you what goes on around here, how we operate, what we feel like God's called us to do in this house, and how you can be a part of it if you feel God's calling you here. So if you're new to Risen Life and would like to join us for that, please do that. We're thankful that you're here. Be an encouragement to somebody before you leave today. They need your arm around their shoulder. Ask them how you can pray for them. Pray for your neighbors. Watch for opportunities to share Jesus with them. You guys are a blessing. You're dismissed.